Hey out there, it's the Holy Hour Podcast, the all-cure bi-weekly podcast. Welcome. How's everyone doing out there? I'm Gavin, and uh, thanks for joining us. Hope everybody's recovering well. Um, I guess it'll be about a week now since the big festivities. What are these festivities you're talking about, Gavin? Well, if you listen to our last episode or... In, in the Cure World Deep, you've uh, had a great weekend the other weekend, and um, that's when I'm recording this, if you haven't been tipped off yet. This is uh, coming right out of Record Store Day and Robert Smith's 59th birthday. A lot of people probably didn't celebrate his 59th birthday so much. Uh, maybe just a little happy post here on social media or something. But um, a lot of people participate in Record Store Day, that's for sure. I saw that all over social media, and uh, it was a fairly big one for The Cure. Not only were they putting out a reissue vinyl of Mixed Up, the 1990 remix album, but they uh, put out a whole another double LP of new remixes, so technically a new release, I guess, um, of older songs that Robert himself had uh, remixed, torn down, they're calling it. And, um, yeah, so people are diving in right now, and, um, yeah, it was a, it was a weird and, and fun weekend for us, too. I uh, really legitimately played it by ear. If you listen to the last episode, um, I think I was leaning towards just passing up on the record store day madness, because, as you know, it gets crazy out there, and, um, and I was weighing all the options. I know my budget's super tight right now, so um, I really wasn't in a dilemma and uh and i'm definitely gonna have to buy the three cd package that's coming out in june june 15th i believe they announced i don't know if i made that official in the last episode or not but june 15th mixed up three disc uh it's the remastered mixed up second disc of like some odds and end remixes from over the years on double uh various 12 inch remixes and stuff like that and then the third disc is torn down so really logically i was thinking i probably don't need to get torn down today because one it's gonna be expensive the record stores are gonna be madness um the picture disc it was the big deal um limited edition it has pictures on the record which i don't really care about um and then they said they're putting out the non-picture disc at that time too so even cd dorkiness of my own aside you know i could wait to get the vinyl um, when it isn't quite as expensive and surrounded by madness, but the catch would be everyone would be hearing torn down like a good month and a half before I get to hear it. And that was going to drive me crazy, but I made, uh, had no intentions of going out that morning was Robert Smith's birthday. So, um, my kid was very excited. We decided to celebrate in birthday fashion. Basically, all he heard was, we'll get a cake, so he was on board. Um, so we decorated the house like total nerds before my wife woke up on Saturday morning, hung up streamers, our, our little happy birthday sign that we usually save for for real people and family members' uh, birthday. Not that Robert isn't real, but I don't know him, let's be honest. Um, and he wasn't coming to the party. So... Um, but yeah, we celebrated, we laid out all the CDs, we decorated, we did some Cure art in the morning, and he was very on board to listen to every Cure album official release throughout the day, and uh, we made it to about Faith before my wife actually woke up. I was like, wow, okay, whatever. 
made the joke that we listen to Cure albums all week anyway, weekend. So, um, so anyway, yeah, we uh, I was sitting on that, and then it kind of just slipped about the new one. She wasn't sure on the dates and stuff. She's like, "What are you crazy? Just go buy the damn thing. Go buy Torn Down. It's gonna drive you crazy." I was like, "Ah, we don't have the money. I'll save it and wait for the CD." And then she talked me into it, which wasn't super hard. But um, she said, "We'll go grocery shop. You go down to." Um, record shop and buy it and um last year we popped in there's a couple record shops in town the mega one um was madness past few years that i've gone where it's just like hard to get in hard to get in there and you know i love the record shop it's an awesome record shop but it was just that whole like ah and then like that's how she convinced me she was like well just go go to the smaller one if you get it great if you don't whatever it's not a big deal you you know could save the money anyway so i was like yeah that's good logic so they went grocery shopping i went down to the smaller record shop here in town and uh noticed there was only like four people in line about a half hour before the doors open so I went for the smaller option and jumped in line i was like wow this is promising and um you know, because that was my other dilemma. I think last time I got in there, but I was too late in line, and they had sold out of the acoustic and greatest hits before I could get to them. Um, but that one wasn't as heartbreaking because it's stuff you technically have in, on some version and have heard. Torn down, I don't know what's on that thing. So I was feeling the fever and uh, gave in. Ended up in line. Five people. I was fifth in line. Um, the line eventually did get very long, but, um, never quite madness, but I didn't really stick around. I went straight there. Everyone leached on them. They weren't quite as, uh, gentlemanly as I thought they would be. I was still kind of like next behind this one guy going through the A through D section of the new record store releases. And, um, he brushed past all the cure ones. I was like, and, uh, I didn't know what the rule was as far as saying, Hey man, can you just hand me that? But it started crowding in real quick. So I was just like, Hey, hand me that cure one and I'll get out of here and give you more space. And sure enough, he did. I just went straight to the register. Didn't even look at anything else. Just got out. I saw the list. There was some cool stuff that got released. But, uh, you know, I just had to get out of that madness before I spent any more money or, you know, lost my mind. So I got it, man. And uh, the scary part was there was only like five copies of it. So technically, if the other people had all gotten it in front of me, I would have gotten the last copy, but not the case. Um, so, yeah, pretty awesome. I got it back to the house, gave it like two listens. And then uh, people started coming over. We're hanging out with our friends anyway. So we turned it into a birthday celebration, played a couple more times, continued on our playlist of cure albums throughout the day and uh all festivities were awesome so with that in mind why isn't this a torn down review well you gotta absorb these things give it a few uh weeks so um that will be coming up next Don and i will do a mixed up episode slash torn down and uh, we'll dive into the nitty gritty as we do with the albums um today good show though i figured we kind of dabble around it and um we haven't done just a single episode before or uh, lately, so I figured we'd talk about Never Enough, the single from 1990s original release of Mixed Up. And um, yeah, I don't even want to slightly hint at my opinions of Torn Down, but uh, I think you can probably guess how I feel about it if you know the show and know me. But um, at this point so let's talk about never enough right um that's kind of a divisive single i never really it struck me as uh one that would go that way early on when it was released but um 
over the years, I've heard, you know, people kind of either like it or hate it. Um, but it's a, it's one that's kind of divisive, but it's kind of wears everything out on its sleeve. I think there's not really too much to pick apart about it. I think it either just kind of bugs people in some way or it doesn't. So, um, so we'll dive into it. We got some great contributions. We got some really cool emails I'm going to read for you guys and a couple audio clips that we'll play. So, um, yeah, but everybody's opinions were kind of on par, but they slightly tweak one way or the other. So it's very interesting to see the perspective of opinions and thoughts on this song. Um, like I said, the single came out uh, 1990 on September 17th. It was uh, produced by Robert Smith, Mark Saunders, uh, who did a bunch of the stuff on Mixed Up, which would come out in November, so a couple months later. Uh, the single went to number 13 in the UK, number 72 on the US Billboard charts. But, and we've talked about this in the past, um, this is around the time when people started, or the U.S. started doing all these spin-off charts. So it actually made it to number one on the U.S. alternative charts. So uh, crazy to think that it's a number one single in some variation, but uh, who knows? And um, yeah, so it was a it was a big deal when it came out. Um, if you've been following my um, curiousness around the disintegration era, I was in sixth grade at the time. Uh, back in 89 for disintegration so this put me at like seventh grade like uh the fall at the beginning of seventh grade whatever age that is i think we've narrowed it down to like 11 12 years old maybe maybe 11 year old um so yeah it was uh, i was in the thick of it is my point and um pretty much after being a diehard cure fan already and then disintegration coming out and it's you know the greatest album ever so that got me in deeper of course so super highly anticipated at this point after the cures tasting big time success after disintegration um we'll get into the more uh context of their career when we do the full album review but uh this was a huge deal a new single coming off the heels of disintegration and uh i was definitely in the thick of it being a youngster um not as critical maybe as i would be now but um i was so i was like whatever let's hear it and uh just straight out of the gates i love the song i was totally on board um i was like yeah rocks it was different enough didn't seem surprising and some people would be like ah coming off the heels of disintegration they wanted something a little more somber or, or uh, at least heavier, moodier again. And um, some people would lump this in as a, a pop single. And I think I just kind of absorbed the rockness of it more. Um, and even to this day, I still uh, hard to really throw it into like the, you know, Friday I'm in Love category or High or something that's just like a nice pop song because I think it is like a little rougher around the edges and and uh just a bit more rocking and i think that's the main thing was just like coming out of disintegration where it's very strings and like uh keys heavy uh synthesizers and such all over disintegration this has no keys as far as i'm concerned or as far as i can tell um uh, unless it's really buried in there but i think it's all guitars um at this point worth noting roger has left the band and he would be replaced or just perry would take over officially perry doesn't play on this recording but um at this point he's on the single cover and everything so he's officially in the band at this point but um from what i could tell liner notes and and backstory sound like he didn't play on this actual song on the track in the studio but 
uh, three guitarists now, and that's more foreshadowing for Wish than anything else, really. But um, so he's versatile in that regards, guitarist and keyboardist. And um, you're going to see the band start getting a little more guitar heavy. And it's 1990. And it's funny, that was kind of the one things I, I really absorbed looking and digging in this time around. Um, I think part of me groups this song in with Wish more than mixed up even to a certain degree because of show and everything where I just kind of associate it with that era more. And um, the guitars and everything just getting a bit more guitar-y by the time Wish comes out for sure in 92 because that's post-Nirvana and everything was just getting a little more guitar-y. I kind of feel like Nirvana always gets a little too much credit in the sense of Everyone in the 90s stepping away from keys to get a breath of guitar air instead of keys it seemed to be the way everything was going anyway, but they definitely were a huge part of that, no doubt. And um, But it's funny with this one because this came out pre-Nevermind like never mind anyway, and um, so we can't even credit rock and grunge rock or anything like that. And it's funny to, to latch on to what was going on context and historically was over um, in in England, the whole Manchester scene blowing up with the um, Madchester baggies and all that going on, uh, Stone Roses, Happy Mondays, and Spiral Carpets, um, which is weird because mid-90s, even early 90s, I definitely got into Britpop, probably more than grunge rock ever even. I don't really was... That stuff kind of came around more for me later. I hated, like... You know, pretty much anything aside from Nirvana, I was not big on Soundgarden or Pearl Jam at all. Um, I liked the guitars and stuff, but I just didn't really dig those bands so much. Um, it was more the Boston rock stuff, the popular uh, guitar stuff that hooked me in the mid-90s, early and mid-90s, uh, as far as guitar rock. But um, So yeah, it's uh, it's weird because I latched on more to the Britpop stuff, which comes out of the, the heels of the baggy stuff more and so it was weird because I, I got into Britpop a lot but not so much the in spiral carpets and the um, more psychedelic sounds of these uh, Madchester baggies kind of bands And uh, but it's funny to see how they influence bands because it was so big I guess at that time um, and we liked some of the bands uh, but just nothing I was too crazy about so at the time point being it kind of missed my radar that Never Enough was more tapped off of that than any kind of like American guitar rock by any means because it is more of a funkier guitar stuff going on. And you definitely hear that in it, uh, especially with those slides and stuff in the beginning when it's like and stuff like that. And it's got a little bit more of a psychedelic funky feel to it, even though I feel like the distortion and stuff kind of weighs it into more of like a, just a cool rock song more than a lot of those bands but maybe i just don't really dive into those enough to really catch but definitely what he's going for that's all out there and open and you know no real debate even uh of what they were going for not so much knocking that or tapping on that side that style or anything but i think it was just in the air and uh i'm sure he was into it to a certain point and just wanting to change it up again you know as we've noticed in if anything with patterns for singles and albums with robert smith he's definitely not one to stick with the formula from album to album in particular and um and this is no doubt even maybe a slightly different or less drastic shift than we've seen in the past but at the same time 
definitely didn't want to do disintegration part two. Um, and this single is a clear indication and then definitely a drastic indication once mixed up comes out of what he was going for. As far as changing the atmosphere. So yeah, um, just that whole uh, vibe of the song, I think, is cool. And the fact that they didn't overdo it is even cooler. Because I don't know if like a whole album of that, you know, Baggies Cure would work very well. But uh, in this instance, I think it's cool. But I could see now how like some people would be a little like, ooh, when that came out. I was, you know, like I said, just a seventh grade kid totally in love with this band they could do no wrong so um so it's hard to say i mean i think it's just a fun cool song it's one of those weird like when you really dive into the writing style of the song and stuff you can kind of see and i kind of even could tell that as a kid like it's just a simple song in a sense not like simple but like uh you know it's just it's it's a weird thing with robert smith in particular it takes a really cool perspective and is gifted with like he has a really good examples of taking a a song that you feel like oh nobody's done this yet like that hasn't been written you know probably the best example is friday i'm in love you know you're like oh what (laughs) you like it or not everyone's kind of like you know oh that hasn't been written already you know and that's kind of a, a huge plus in the pop catchiness world because it's like you're taking something that everyone's like oh yeah never enough no you know how could this not already be a song and uh and it wasn't and they nail it and they're doing exactly what what that you know intention was and um and i think that's cool but that being said it's definitely not the deepest cure song by any mean um musically or lyrically um it's not really trying to be deep but um you know even as far as what we normally do you can pick apart robert smith lyrics and stuff for the most part it's definitely got some cool weird lines in it and stuff but i think just the overall feeling of not being satisfied as he said in the liner notes of join the dots it's mostly that concept and nothing too terribly confusing or um poetic even really for the most part but it works in a cool rock song you don't have to be quite as deep you know so, um, so I think that's cool. That'd probably be the only obvious negative that I would throw on it right away is there's just kind of a weak song by Cure standards, maybe. But that does nothing to take away from the coolness or the funness or the rockingness. Um, you know, and they don't have too many songs like that in there, like sets. You know, even today, really, there's not too many that are just straight up like banging out chords and stuff with distortion. So, um, so yeah, it's pretty straightforward, and, and I, I dug it for that aspect. It was just a cool, fun, and to this day, I think it's that way, where it's uh, got some some good energy to it. Maybe one of the huge pluses that I love about it is um, an example of a song that's kind of saved by the production, you know, because it is a fairly, I hate to say weak song, but it is, you know, there's just not that much to it. It's pretty basic as far as the chords and the lyrics and repeating and such. Um, but the production, I think, is super rad on this song. Um, arguably, one on actual Mixed Up, we'll get into this more when we do the Mixed Up as a whole. Uh, that big mix that's on there is just as good as the single mix. Maybe the single I kind of like more just because it's a little more concise, but uh, there's a little bit more extra flair going on and some warbly vocals and stuff that aren't in the single version so much. Um, But both of them, I think, are just nailed as far as, like, great feedback, great, like, levels on everything. The tones are cool. Um, 
yeah, it's just like a really mixed and produced awesome song. Like I just love the production of it because it's live. It's fun when you're caught up in the moment, but like watching live clips of it and stuff, it definitely loses a lot. I think just because you just you know it's just a band rocking out, but it's. Yeah, I'm sure it's fun as hell to play, but just like watching it, it's not the most dazzling, and it always sounds a little thinner. Um, so yeah, it's it's weird that that would be. Uh, um, they don't have too many songs like that. I think where it's like the song is vastly improved. I think by the production value, um, as opposed to their live interpretation of it. And the squeals, man. I love the squeals on this song. Perhaps some of his best. I mean, Robert's kind of known for his weird little noises and vocal howls and stuff that he does on his song. Even the sweetest of pop songs, you know, like Pictures of You gets a ow somewhere in there. And, um, and this one's got some great ones. He sounds like a damn hawk or something on some of those. If you know that one I'm talking about, right? It's like, ow! Just so, like, high-pitched and... I love it. So uh, anytime you can throw all that in with like various little guitar tweaks and howls and uh, feedbacks, I think that it just pairs up perfectly till it gets to the point where you're just like, what is that even? You know, it doesn't even sounds like a synthesizer or something, but it's not. It's just howls and feedback. So that's a huge plus for me. I love any kind of Cure song where he's making all kinds of weird ass noises. It breaks down well. Um, I think that's probably why it works so good for the mixed up mix because you can just pull out parts and uh, emphasize this and you know boost it up and you even see with the live version um, some tweaking of that. Like I felt like it was most prominent on this last tour in 2016, like where they do the pauses, like dun 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 dun. dun. It's just like a full straight up pause, you know. Um, while thumbing through some video clips, I did see like one in 2005 where they were doing it, but it wasn't quite as pronounced. So it was like in there, maybe like on the first verse and stuff, but then they didn't do it on all of them um, when it was just uh, him and uh, Porum on guitar. So yeah, that's why it's weird too, because it's like three guitarists in the band and it's a super guitar heavy song, but Robert usually doesn't play guitar on it unless it's... Um, well, I guess now he does. So, yeah, I, I didn't see too many. I guess during the footage of, like, the Perry era and such, he would just not play guitar on it in the in Wish era. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of weird. You think they could just utilize all three guitars if they're going to on one and just totally rock it out. But uh, no need, right? But uh, pretty cool. I like those pauses in there. I think it's kind of neat. Changes it up. And uh, it's just a cool song in that regards because it is simpler, I think, on its structure and just what's going on. So you can kind of, you know, cut stuff out at very various points and showcase, like, the drums a bit more or something. And uh, some, definitely some straight-up badass Boris drumming on this one, too. Um, really love the, the production on the drums on that one as well. So I mentioned we got a bunch of really cool emails uh, concerning this song. Most stemmed from Instagram. So check out the Holy Hour podcast on Instagram so you can uh, be aware of further topics if you want to contribute like these fine people have. But we got some cool ones, and most of them didn't really um, steer too far off of what I was saying. But it was interesting just to see what little tweaks here and there on opinions people had as far as Never Enough. Um, so the first one here is from Andrea who goes by goth underscore hunty and she writes, hello, holy hour. I love this song. It's always a good one to play before a night out with the lads or ladies. I love the high energy on everyone's part. I always thought it was cool to see everyone shredding on the guitar and bass. Of course, Boris goes hard too. 
It's weird because the style seems to be a bridge between Kiss Me Kiss Me to their 90s stuff like Mint Car and High, which I'm not a huge fan of compared to their darker stuff, Faith, Pornography, etc. Or the weirder stuff, Six six Different Ways, Caterpillar, etc. in the 80s. I think this is one of their last weird great pop songs, just my opinion. No disrespect to the new stuff. I think there was a shift in the style once Wish came around. Never Enough represents the end of an era and the opening of a new chapter. On a side note, I think the video is also great. Probably the last weird ape shit video. Best, Andrea. So yeah, totally some of the stuff we've already touched on, but um, for the most part, totally agree. Uh, maybe the last cool ape shit video. I think I'd agree with that. Um, wrong number. Definitely goes a little ape shit, but uh, I don't know. Something on that video just doesn't work quite as good. Seems a little more intentionally weird. This one's just straight up cool, theatrical weird. Um, where it's like, I'd watch this movie. I don't know what's going on exactly, but I keep wanting to see more. Um, as far as your thought on uh, the bridge between the eras, I, I definitely see that too. For some reason, I feel like it's more of the closing out of the era you know, maybe I'm just grouping it in with like Boris and Pearl and um, just knowing. So I feel like the end of it comes more at Wish and then there's that longer gap between Wild Mood Swings. So that's kind of the the stop point after Wish um, as opposed to what if I'm reading this correctly, you're thinking it's kind of more the start of this era coming out of it, uh, which, you know, I definitely see too with the poppiness and um and uh, like I said, it's a weird great pop song, like you said. I like that because um, it isn't as straight up clear cut pop as like Friday in Love or High or Mint Car by any means. So uh, yeah, cool stuff. And uh, yeah, I agree. The high energy saves it. It's a uh, it's a song, and you see that a little bit. Like I was saying earlier, if you watch some live clips, maybe where they're not quite as into it, it's one that can drag a little bit if they're not totally balls out rocking it to the core you know so so uh the energy goes a long way for that one um let's see then we got one from andy um from black sugar transmission who writes i love this single it was perfect for its time sounding right at home with all the madchester brit pop guitar bands who were starting to flare up at the dawn of the 90s it's playful rowdy and perfect palate cleanser to the somber disintegration period also, it had one of the all-time best Cure B-sides, Harold and Joe. Yes. So uh, before we uh, pay our little tribute to Harold and Joe, too, um, there we go. Yeah, definitely referencing the, the Manchester scene there and um, just what was going on with all that. And, um, and, and a great example of, like, a, I don't know if I did it justice earlier talking about this, but just how the Cure can stay relevant and pull from current things, but always having their own unique sound. And, um, you know, it's always so dangerous with that kind of thing, especially if you're a band that's been around a while, people could accuse you of trying to just cop a style that's relevant, you know, but, um, I personally don't think that they ever blatantly look like they're trying to stay hip by doing something. I think if he just pulls from it, it's cause it's what's in the air and that's totally cool, I think. And, uh, and just a way to keep their feet on the ground and um, 
at the same time dabble in some cool new sounds that, that you know we want to just hear the same crap over and over again so uh so i think i pretty much agree with you all the way around on this one andy um harold and joe cool b-side too and uh we do have to address the b-sides if we're talking about the single proper and um hard to say where people land on harold and joe like i like it i definitely like it more now i remember the time just being like eh, it's cool but uh wasn't super crazy about it. Luckily, Wish came out shortly after this, so I didn't really have to sit on Harold and Joe for a long time. I probably would have liked it sooner back then. But um, uh, I love the music. I think the the uh, the sarcastic vocal, like when he does his um, he's in interviews, has called it his American voice. I don't know if this one totally fits into it. If you know what I'm talking about, but um, like lumping in. I would include this one in uh, like Club America and Piggy in the Mirror to a certain degree. Um, and, uh, and it kind of dawned on me. I never really had thought about it, but Homesick a little. He does a little bit. He gets into like this weird kind of voice that he doesn't use that often. And uh, Harold and Joe seems to fit that a little bit more than his normal vocal style. Uh, but it's cool because it is different and definitely some killer hooks in that with like the little and um, first time we hear some kind of like brass I'm assuming more synth brass in this it's kind of tucked into the mix uh, we haven't really heard I don't think any of that in uh, in disintegration right so um, going back to kiss me kiss me because it's all over that um, but yeah, so bringing that back in, but tastefully, which I'm usually not too big on in Cure songs, but uh, pretty cool. Um, maybe the only whistle solo ever in a Cure song. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but um, definitely some cool whistling going on. And uh, I don't know, I'm a big fan of a whistle solo in a song if it's used properly, and I think they nail it here. Um, so I think musically it's great. Um even the lyrics are really cool. I guess just that vocal style is either hit or miss for me with, with Robert. But, um, yeah, I think it's cool. It stemmed from a Simon demo, apparently. Um, and that's where they got the name, because Simon would come come up with the with the music for ideas. It's hard to say how much of it was laid out. Um, and then he'd just name it something, knowing Robert would change the name, apparently, based on whatever lyrics he comes up with. But this was one of the rare exceptions where this managed to uh, stick. Um, and it's a reference to um, the Aussie show Neighbors. Um, and uh, those are two characters, apparently. Harold Bishop and joe mangle so not familiar with the show definitely heard about it tons but i've never really watched it i think it's the one my brother got into it's like a soap opera that's going on forever in uh, australia and um yeah so pretty cool if you want to be a diehard fan go uh, check those characters down see if there's any reference in the lyrics that way kind of feel like it's just the name not so much the song is about them but it's a cool got cool lines and i like the lyrics sarcastic lyrics are very like you know so you definitely can feel the song and identify with it i like that kind of monotone vocals now i think it's cool that he's trying something a little different with it and um yeah, it's cool. It's got a big chorus. So it's a pretty cool song. I, I definitely dig it. And, um, you know, especially nowadays, I would probably love this if it was on an album, but it seemed like a nice fitting B-side at the time. So so I think most people are probably pretty cool with old Harold and Joe. Go, go, go. Uh, let's move on to the next email. We got one from, from David. 
says, Hiya, mate. I distinctly remember being extremely excited for the mixed-up album. I was 14 at the time, so pretty close to how I was, and was absolutely obsessed with The Cure. The Never Enough single was the very first CD that I purchased as our poor-ass family did not get a CD player until Christmas 1989. Of course, I loved the video. I loved anything with Robert Smith in it. He could have done a commercial heralding the joys of clubbing baby seals, and I would have recorded it and watched it until the tape wore out. The song, however, was the first time that I felt slightly let down by the boys. I know Robert Smith was going for the Madchester sound on Never Enough, but that was lost on me at the time. I wanted more disintegration. I actually enjoyed Mixed Up as a whole. I know it's a dividing album for fans, but I still listen to it on occasion. And I do remember being happy that Never Enough was the last track because I would just pretend that it wasn't on there. Now I do enjoy the song and I get what Robert Smith was going for and doing, but my frame of reference at the time simply was not broad enough. Cheers, David. And uh, David goes by Barbarism, begins at home on Instagram. And uh, thanks for that email. I definitely am with you for the most part in the age bracket of when this came out and the overall, um, you know, desire for this song and and just wanting to crave anything Cure and Robert Smith in 1990. Um, But yeah, it it captured me. I fell for it right off the bat there. Um, Probably like a little less now than I did back then even, but um, I'm still cool with it. But I could see that, you know, if you're you're wanting more... uh, heavy dark cure after disintegration this could be kind of like the throwawayness could be a little bit more apparent and yeah i think I, i'm ch- trying to think of when we got our first big like cd player and boom boxes around the house and stuff and it probably was fairly close to them maybe a year before that so so i was probably in the same boat with you and uh love that uh shuffle and repeat you know so many great features all right we got one final email which was uh awesome because i always love to try to cover this full spectrum as much as possible here on the show and um we got we got an awesome one from john who was anti never enough so uh we got to to hear the flip perspective here enough of this love fest let's see what john has to say he says hey gavin personally i hate never enough i can't really give a good reason why but something about the song always rubbed me the wrong way I guess I fit more under the dark side of the cure rather than the poppy side, but I still like a lot of the poppy kind of stuff, like high and in between days, just like heaven, even front am in love. I think it's just a weak track in short. Thanks for reading. Would you give my band a shout out on the podcast? Sure thing. His band's called Safari Inc. And uh, they recently did a cover of Lullaby and uh, by mixing it in with Machine Head from Bush. It's like a mashup cover, which I'm dying to hear. He says it uh, doesn't quite have a link for it yet, but I'll put a link to his band, which sounded pretty rad, on uh, on the Facebook page. So check that out. And wow, Lullaby and Machine Head, I can't even imagine. So I will definitely gladly check that out. So keep us in the loop, John. But yeah, wow. Um, yeah, I guess they both are C sharp minor and A. Yeah, so they are bulk of the song is, is the same chords weird man i know chaz will be very excited to hear how that all pans out so we'll uh we'll keep our buddy chaz if you're listening out there brace yourself for that one but referring back to what you said about never enough and that's kind of what i touched on earlier where it is weird i don't really see it it's faults being in that it's a poppy song um 
but yeah, you nailed it with the just the weakness. And I wish there was a better word for it. I keep kind of dropping out a little bit when I say weak, feeling like that's not the best way to say it. But it's just more of a straightforward, you know, writing-wise for the song in Robert Smith's style. There's usually a lot more going on. And, you know, it's fine. It's not a knock for it. And it works for a poppy song. So it is uh, what it is. And it's kind of a dirty kind of pop song. So I like that. Um, it was cool, and I didn't know it earlier, when they went into the session, they were working with Mark Saunders, and um sounded like they were trying to record more electronic, heavy stuff. Um, so he said they had about four songs. They were trying to just record new songs, maybe more like Harold and Joe, but they got shifted too. Um, and he had four. Yeah, I don't know if Harold and Joe was one of those four, but apparently they are just kind of disastrous and didn't go right. And that night he... Um, wrote Never Enough, and they kind of just knocked it out as a cool rock song. Um, but pretty weird to think that they were trying to write something a little bit more electronic-heavy, and uh, Never Enough just kind of came as a spontaneous, which totally feels like it, right? So that's like what happens when you just want to, like, fuck it, let's write a cool rock song, and, um, and can crank it out in that regard. So um, you kind of wonder... If that's and they said that was kind of the inspiration for Mixed Up was working with Mark Saunders to do that because he's a big you know producer, uh, remix kind of dude and uh, so then once they got that going they kind of shifted gears with doing a, a more uh, a mixed up album you know of remixes instead and uh, but yeah it's kind of cool and uh, just the throwaway kind of nature I think of, of plugging out this song and just. Never enough, you know. Who knows how that fit into the uh, the theme of the studio at that point in time. So yeah, thanks so much, John, Andrea, David, and Andy for writing in, and uh, we definitely encourage more emails like these. Uh, we love to hear your two cents. So it's not just me and Donald spouting off and trying to cover everyone's potential train of thought on care songs from over the years and uh yeah definitely feel free to drop us a line anytime even if it's something we're not currently talking about uh, we'll save it and uh use it when it's appropriate so if you don't mind us sitting on it for a little bit we would love to hear anything you have to say so you don't even have to keep an eye out on what we're asking for so um one expert opinion i would love to share with you right now on the song never enough if you have been following me my, my little five-year-old has been very uh he's really diving into the care digging songs new songs every day it seems like one will just pop up and he's like yeah that's cool that's cool so we were uh driving the other day and he said he wanted to hear the cure and he didn't seem set on which one i was like well i think we're about to do an episode on this song never enough um why don't you tell me what you think about it and uh was surprisingly up for the challenge so uh here's here's my little guy's two cents on the track never enough so henson connor tell me what do you think about this song never enough that we just listened to i think i like uh, yes, I like a part and I don't like a part. Okay, what do you like about it? I like the singing part, but I do not like the not singing part. Yeah, you don't like the, is it too guitar -y? Yeah. It's a little more guitar stuff going on than most Cure songs, isn't there? Uh, so you don't like that so much? Uh-uh. But you like the way he's singing? Yeah. What parts of the singing do you like? I like all the... All the parts that he sings. Yeah, his voice just sounds good. Yeah. Do you know what it means to say never enough? Because it's like, it's 
it's like somebody never gets you enough Play-Doh. Yeah, not enough Play-Doh or toys or any of that. Never enough, right? Never enough, like, never enough dolls. Yeah, so like whatever you're into. They never give you enough stuff. Yeah, which can be good and bad, right? Yeah. Still so good of it. Uh, yeah. Cool. How do you um, think it compares to other Cure songs? Uh, like some of the ones that you know, like Love Cats and Just Like Heaven and such. I like all those. Yeah. Do you like this one more or less? I love this one less. Yeah, not as much? Yeah. Okay. How old are you? Five. And what's your name? Hanson Corin Kyle. That's it. Thanks, bud. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome, Dad. All right, so there you go. I'm slowly grooming him to uh, take over the show when I'm 60 years old. Um, so, yeah, you know, he kind of had a point, though. You know, it's not quite as good as a lot of other songs, but it's cool. The singing's good. Guitars can be a little annoying. I don't know. I love the guitars, actually. The funkiness gets a little annoying, but... uh. So yeah, I'm also very happy to say that um, someone that has seen and listened to The Cure for slightly longer than my son, uh, our good buddy Arusha, has sent us a segment that she's recorded for um, her thoughts on Never Enough. So uh, I'm going to kick it off to her before we wrap this thing on up. So uh, Arusha, tell us how Never Enough makes you feel. Uh, this is Arusha from Push, a Cure fan documentary, and I'm very happy to be back on the Holy Hour podcast. Um, it's been a while. Um, yeah, so what are we talking about today? Never enough. I wanted to talk about the video to Never Enough. I mean, first of all, do I like the song? Yes. Do I like it more now? than I did before? Yes. Um, I think when the song came out, I wasn't like super thrilled or not thrilled. I remember it being played a lot on the dance floor and it was fun. Um, And it was of course just fun because it wasn't attached to a proper record and it was just nice to have a song um, post disintegration. But now looking back on the video, I mean, I, I highly encourage anybody out there to Google Never Enough and watch it again and really get into it. It is so well done. It is so classically The Cure and Tim Pope. The best of The Cure and Tim Pope. I mean, it starts off with Chris Perry, their manager at the time, on a dock. Um, like, you know, some sort of carny, carnival situation, and he's got a cigar and some fucked up teeth and, like, an eye patch or something at this, like, run-down little crappy theater, and he's like, ah, I got all the money, ah, ah, so that's interesting, because it's Chris Perry, and, you know, I like, I, I guess that's what bands used to do a lot back in those days is they just used their own people and they all acted out their own story which was really fun. It was always a narration. You know, not like dudes in the hot tub with chicks (laughs) 
Can you imagine if the cure did that? Oh my god. So, so yeah, so it starts off, no music, just on the dock, com you know, completely setting the stage for a story. And then you're taken into the song and into this, this, uh, carnival show. Um, and there's cure posters on the wall and they're like all ripped up and, um, everything's just kind of trashy, but you know, you have this guy talking about money, Chris Perry. So the song starts and you enter this room or this theater and one of the first things you see, aside from maybe there's like a gorilla guy uh, taking money, I don't know, there's all these characters inside the theater um, and sometimes it's easy to tell which Cure member is playing that character, but other times it's not, and so I think that's kind of fun too, to uh, look at the video and be like, oh, that's clearly Boris, but who the hell is in the monkey suit? Um, but then they do this really interesting shot where they start, I think, down like on at the feet on this very wide creature. And um, it's a Siamese twin of Simon and Robert together. And of course it is. Like, those two lovebirds, you know? <laughs> How could it be anybody but Simon and Robert? And like, who thought of that? You know, was that Tim Pope who thought of that narrative, or was that Robert? Certainly wasn't Simon. Should we take a vote? Um, anyway, it's super adorable, especially 20 years later when nobody can deny the bromance between Robert Smith and Simon Gallup. Um, he's sort of like the Warren Ellis of Nick Cave, although that one kind of pisses me off. I don't know why. Um, maybe I just have a little soft spot for Blixa. Anyway, I digress. So, yeah, so back to, uh, so yeah, there's this, like, Siamese twin moment. And then, I can't remember if they flash to the, Robert Smith is the fat lady, or if that just only comes after the lyrics when we sort of establish in theory for somebody who has never heard The Cure that like it's the idea however much I push it down it's never enough How, basically however much I eat you know money anything it's never enough so then Robert comes crawling out onto the stage which is set up again in classic um, Tim Pope style with this, what is the what is the style of art that the cabinet of Dr. Caligari was created? It's like this German, I want to say German expressionism. There's German expressionism and Russian expressionism, and I always get them confused. But it's this style of like stage setting or even anything. Um, people help me out there. Um, but it, you know, where you he creates like the the visual image of the stage getting smaller and smaller when it probably is not that way. It's sort of like with, with the Let's Go to Bed video. He set up the, the images that way with like the front of the room seeming to be a lot smaller than the back of the room, but it's actually just a um, optical illusion. So Robert Smith comes crawling out on the floor looking really cool. Yet another thing that's you know, great about this video is, of course, it's establishing 
the look of, of the cure, but it's more severe. There's like more eye makeup, there's more lipstick, there's sweat, which to me clearly looks like, you know, fake sweat, which is fine. But he has a, he's carrying a ball and chain with him, which I thought was a neat um, uh, prop and additional, you know, narrative. And then they use the smoke, like a little smoke bomb, poof, to cut to like, now all of a sudden the whole band is there. So the whole band is playing in this like stage that's too small for them because they're so big and so famous and so whatever, right? So it's all aping on the cure and success. So again, you have like the reintroduction of what Robert and Tim Pope have said that they appreciate about each other and working together is that Tim is, is good at extracting the fun side of the cure, the smart ass side of the cure, the playful side of the cure, and the side of the cure that like will make fun of themselves, you know, in the music videos, in addition to Robert or whoever looking beautiful and the hair is all good and it's so, so surreal and dark, but like you compare that to the Charlotte Sometimes video, but it's just not a good video because they took it was like too serious, right? Those Tim Pope videos do such a great job at like making the audience feel like what a cure song feels like. Like the depth that it has, that it's not just some guy, you know, back combing his hair and wearing fucking lipstick for crying out loud. Anyway, so the band plays. And it's great, and there's Perry, probably one of the first times we see Perry. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe that's a quiz point. And for that, you get a new washing machine, if you get the right answer. No, I have no idea. But, um, but yeah, Perry's looking super adorable, and like, I'm totally projecting all of this onto him, but it looks like he's like excited to be in the band. And Porl's just doing his thing. You can't see Boris really because he's so far in the back. Um, and then they just keep cutting back to like Robert is the fat woman, Robert singing. There's close-ups of uh, you know Robert sweating, and then you notice that they're like on, they're on his pier, right? So then they introduce the water, um, and it's all just really clever. Like he. Robert finds a door and he opens it and then again like just the way that the, the camera set up is just so fucking good for a music video like I would be so curious to know about the budget back in the day um, oh man I need to work on my voice I know I get all excited and I talk too loud but I gotta be me anyway so yeah, the, just the production value, I guess, is what we would say of this music video, which in some ways it's very simple. It's just the five members of the band. I don't know if any of the characters were not Cure members that are like lurking about in the in the shadows of this theater, which you see as the music video goes. But um, you know, Chris Perry. So that's that's just smart. A lot of costume changes. Uh, and then there's this water. So Robert looks out the the little door, the little trap, and he falls somehow underneath. Now he's underneath the, the stage. And you can see in the video there's like a little bit of the fat lady's pink dress. 
that has fallen in between the cracks. And so then there's this like exchange sort of between Robert Smith, the singer, and Robert Smith, the fat lady, which I also think is interesting. And I'm sure if I said to him, what, do you, what did you mean at that moment? And he'd say, oh, nothing, I don't know. You know, you're reading too much into it. And perhaps I am, but I just... You know, after 30, 40 years of this band being around, 40 years of the band being around, 30 years of me knowing about them, I, I just, it tickles me to, to see all this stuff and just to know that much more about them and how it shows up in their music videos. Um, I just wish they would do another one. Tim? Tim Pope, please? Anyway, so, yeah, and then, you know, the song, I can't remember now how the video ends. I think Chris Perry is cackling about money at the end of it and grueling around. And that's another interesting little detail. They, they keep his laughter, his disgusting laughter, in the, the music video. Um... Oh, and they also go back to that thing where they, where um, Tim Pope puts a camera like on. He attaches it to a guitar. I think he attaches it to Porl's guitar, and it's kind of facing up, like from the base, not the base, like the bottom curve of the guitar, and it faces up towards him. Which nowadays. We have GoPros galore, and so everybody and their mother does that. But at the time, I don't recall that being a really common camera angle. Everything about it is great. I wish I could work on shit like that. I wish I could work, period. I wish I was a person that knew how to make a living, but that's another story. Tim Pope, please hire me. I can help you. Um... Yeah, and that's never enough. And to bring it up to today-ish, it's great live now. I think it has new breath with Reeves. I think it's a great song for Reeves to um, be a part of because of that wow-wow guitar sound, which I suppose Porl brought into it at first. Um, and that's it. And so I look forward to hearing it again. Um, I'll always, that's, that's a song I'll, I'll never, it'll ne I'll never have enough of never enough. <laughs> All right. Have a great evening, everybody. Stay devoted. All right. So there you go. Always a pleasure to hear from Arusha. Be sure to check out CureFanDocumentary.com to check all the latest on her amazing projects, such as her upcoming film Push and the Cure fanzine that's out there. So go check all that out. And yeah, definitely couldn't have done this episode without addressing the awesomeness of that video. I think it's a fan favorite for, uh, probably everyone. Um, I can't imagine anyone not digging that video, but, um, yeah, thank you, Arusha, for sending that in and really drawing a uh, a perspective on the the video, and especially from your filmmaking perspective. So uh, greatly appreciated, and uh, I know I agree with you all the way around. That's a cool one. Thank you for sending that in. Uh, well, that about wraps it up here. Um, I think we covered it. I'm I'm down. People uh, a bit divisive on this track. I don't think it's a make or break cure song, but it's. Uh, one that's made it on the greatest hits albums and such. It's on there, right? Isn't it on the... 
Let's look. Let's look. Yeah, of course it's on there, right? Oh, yeah, it is. There it is. One other thing dawned on me the other day. I was sitting around and uh, just started plucking at the guitar and uh, I was trying to come up with a folky version of the walk for whatever reason, you know? And um, and I just started playing the walk and I was like... And I was like, wait a minute. And then technically... Same fucking chords is never enough, right? The walk's just a little more robotic. And then they both do the uh, where it goes up. So it's just G, A, G, and E for, um, they're using like the bar chord, so like A5, G5, G5. So it's not, I think with never enough, it goes to an actual full E major. But then it um they both go to the C D like wrap around, bring it up too, so And then uh yeah, I think it takes it a little longer to get to it on Never Enough. You know, no big deal. Same chords are in a lot of billion different songs, but uh just kinda funny that if you put Never Enough next to the walk, which it is on the greatest not next to it, but on the same album. It never dawned on me that there's like any real crossover between those two songs. But um, there they go. So when somebody says, man, The Walk is just a rip-off of Blue Monday, well, guess what? The Cure rips themselves off too. So uh, Never Enough is just a rip-off of The Walk. So in fact, Never Enough is not a rip-off of Blue Monday. Wait, what? Anyway, so uh, I just thought that was cool, and I'll share that with y'all. So uh, until next time, stay tuned. I just wanted to give us a little breathing room and to really absorb Torn Down, the newish album that just came out. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be uh, reviewing that, and I uh, can't wait to talk it out with Donald. He's the mix master dude. He's real into electronic music and stuff too, so you know he's going to have something to say on the matter and robert smith's mix master skills so uh be sure to subscribe on itunes so you don't miss that episode in any of the upcoming episodes that are bound to come out and um you can subscribe on itunes we're technically hosted from podcast gardens if you really hate itunes you can go over there and listen to it too um write me directly at gavinconnor at gmail.com if you have any uh comments questions or want to contribute in any way hit me up there um instagram the holy r podcast and the facebook page for some reason are you guys scared of russia is there something nobody ever checks out the facebook page but there's always little tidbits and extra stuff that we talk about in the episodes in the thread on the holy hour facebook page so just go on over and like that sucker it's not intrusive you know as much as (laughs) anything on facebook i guess but um But yeah, go check it out. And if you're looking to beef up your awesome Cure shirt collection, um, please go on over to 17secondshirts.bigcartel.com where our friend Chaz is uh, selling some awesome Cure shirts. They go fast, though, so you have to kind of keep on track of that website and his Instagram account, which is 17 underscore seconds. And um, yeah, there's some cool originals cure shirts there and i saw he's just throwing up some old vintage 
buttons too so you can find some uh fuck a seagulls and culture club i think i saw on there so uh get a few little badges to go along with your awesome cure shirts um it's gonna be changing fast and new ones on the way and we'll be talking to chaz soon all about that hopefully so uh check that out 17 second shirts dot big and uh, if you just can't get enough shopping, we always suggest going on over to RemixGifts.com too and see what you can find. And uh, I don't know. I think that wraps up. So thanks so much to John, Andrea, Andy, and David for writing in. Arusha, of course, and uh, Henson for uh, taking time to record their thoughts on Never Enough. And we'll talk to you soon. Hope everybody's doing well out there. Talk hard. Talk hard.